the Doxed, the podcast. And basically, for the first half of this episode, I thought it would be fun to go through troll buyer personas. And then <laughs> and then the second half, we're going to talk about identity politics. I think it's important to explain what a buyer persona is. I looked up a Hootsuite definition, which is that they're a detailed description of someone who represents your target audience and they're fictional, but based on deep research of your existing or your desired audience. Well, let's just get into what inspired you to create these buyer personas in the first place. Well, I thought it would be a good way to talk about the troll situation by kind of separating them into buyer personas. So basically in this case, instead of a target audience, I'm thinking of them, I'm thinking of the trolls that people might find themselves dealing with in these kinds of situations. And the research is mostly our recent experience, but I do think it's applicable to, I don't know, a lot of different, um, everything from like government psyops, even down to just, you know, run of the mill, annoying people on the internet so hopefully it'll be mm-hmm. useful and then yeah and then we can talk about identity politics after that because it's all kind of it's interrelated to the troll thing too um especially yeah. in modern day i don't know if it used to be like that be interesting to do like a history deep dive but definitely a lot of these kind of social justice issues and leftist battles in internet spaces i think all revolve around these same kind of psychology uh profiles and I guess basically yeah. I ordered them from like least dangerous to most dangerous and thought maybe I could just read through them to you and then you could let me know what you think. Okay, that'll be fun. I'm excited for this. Good. So, uh, and I don't know if dangerous is the right word either because I think even no matter what, if you're getting bullied online in any way, it can affect your mental health. And I think there is a real kind of danger to that. So I don't mean to discount. Danger as in like, threat to your mental health like threat level in that way yeah there's definitely a range right like I do think um oh what's the there's an article by I think Goost Yep which talks about the article is called the violence of heteronormativity and it's basically proposing a model for how you can understand uh cognitive injury um and it just shows that it really is a kind of violence that is material even when it is only something that affects your mental health because you know there's a range of things that happen to you which is internal experiences but also in the social domain and um you know subjective experiences that you have as an individual but also how that relates to you know the collective and how you're interacting with other people so you know, you can get things like anxiety, fear, guilt, shame, self-destructive thoughts and behaviors. And then you can also experience external things like harassment, avoidance, verbal abuse, differential treatment, um, discriminatory behavior, and then even like physical violence. And then you can also, you can also even experience like um, criminalization and denial of basic rights or citizenship. And those things are very serious, but there's a spectrum. And I think even things like anxiety, fear, guilt, shame, those are real kinds of harm. So Mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's important to understand it on a spectrum, but it doesn't mean that like mental health is not less dangerous because it really just depends. And also as we'll, as I want to talk about some of these trolls are specifically targeting people who are at some of the most extreme ends of instability in terms of their mental health. So Mm -hmm. uh, that's more dangerous because of who they're targeting. Right. Yeah. So particularly cruel. Yeah, it's, it's very cruel. I mean, 
yeah, I, I struggle to wrap my head around why anybody would make their life about just creating pain, you know, but I think some of the people in this game are here for it. So I think that's important to understand and kind of arm yourself with if you're facing them. Mm -hmm. So, okay. So getting to these, (laughs) these buyer persona. So every buyer persona has to have a kind of a nickname, and then you can think of them as, as like an imaginary person that kind of encapsulates that type of that broader type of person. So my first one is meme queen, Martha and commentator, Camilla. (laughs) So (laughs) meme queen, Martha is a mom from Idaho whose main outlet for expressing herself is trolling online and making thirst traps. And she's probably very funny and can be, you know, like wickedly funny, like that Sagittarius friend. Um, And humor can be healing as we've talked Mm -hmm. about in other episodes, but it can be, it can get to a level that can be cruel too, because taunting people can really seriously damage their mental health. And especially when it's kind of en masse. And I think one interesting thing about this whole parasocial situation is that when you're one of these people just contributing to the discourse, it's hard to understand that you're part of a horde of people. (laughs) So Mm -hmm. if you're not responsible about that, it can definitely turn cruel. And then I kind of group these together. So meme queen, Martha, commentator, Camilla, because they have kind of the same like pain, like the same kind of thing they're trying to address and the same goals. So commentator Camilla is probably already a creator or influencer, but Mm -hmm. often a smaller one and may or may not hide between hide behind a burner depending on how hot the takes are (laughs) (laughs) and um she provides like summaries and commentary and basically becomes kind of like a mini media source so she sort of builds and lose trust loses trust with different factions of uh people over time uh and because media is always biased and everyone always gets mad that commentators are biased when they disagree with you but everything is biased so, and you're not, mm-hmm. a person. if you think you are, you're probably just white. So uh, a common kind of thing that people rail against these commentators are, uh, is, is that they're biased, but um, of course everyone's biased. So everybody kind of adopts their favorite commentator. And mm-hmm. I think for both of these people, the pain point is usually injustice. I think they feel like they want to speak out and their goals are kind of uh, either seeing a justice or it could just be about adding their voice maybe even getting clout. Um, It could be about entertainment, being entertained and entertaining. And yeah, so that's my first level. Do you have thoughts about them? (laughs) I I have questions. Yes. So for Camilla, she's a micro-influencer. Is her approach sort of like an opportunistic thing to build her platform with this kind of content or just you know, getting in where she fits in, if it's something that's important to her. Yeah. I, I think that it's hard to, it's hard to really know people's motivations, I guess. I think we're in a unique situation uh, with what we just lived through because a lot of the people involved were autistic. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I think when, when uh, commentator Camilla is autistic, she's more likely to to really straight up just be there for justice (laughs) and have something Mm -hmm. to say and have some, you know, want to have her voice in there. And, um, you know, I think there's definitely also a type of person who just weighs in for clout, but I think it's a common misconception that it's for clout because I think creators often are just here. I mean, specifically on the TikTok platform, I think, you know, Instagram too, I think YouTube too. I think creators often are there just because they're trying to express themselves. So 
I think that can be the motivation, but it's hard to know really what people think. Mm. Interesting. Okay. I like these two. Did you see like, did you maybe see some nastier commentator Camilla's in this? Because the ones I'm thinking of are kind of like some of my favorite people in some (laughs) ways. The ones that I ended up liking what they had to say anyway, you know? You know, I think I've had a a one-on-one DM conversation with a Camilla type, Mm -hmm. but her account is, that's what her whole account is. She is a commentator on every TikTok drama she can get her hands on, (laughs) but not from a place of cruelty, but just wanting to share the tea, not necessarily take a side, you know? Yeah. So a little bit different than someone that would, that you consider like uh, autistic creator where something kind of triggered them about a situation that they're not necessarily a part of and they want to voice their opinion on it and kind of jump on the bandwagon of it. I think that's, that's a little different, but still the same level of like mostly harmless, you know? Yeah. I would say generally they do have some power because they're basically the meat, like a microcosmic media. So of course the media has some sway in sort of how the overall crowd thinks about what's going on. Um, and they can definitely misrepresent things, but, um, so there's some responsibility there, but I think overall, some of those people are just genuinely kind of trying to weigh in and, and, you know, that's bound to happen too. So, all right. So then, uh, next up is judgy Janet, (laughs) (laughs) who is a crunchy granola lady, often older. And by older, I just mean like, not necessarily Gen Z, like let's say millennial or older. Okay. Um, Often, you know, following a cult-like creator and there's plenty of those, but only sees like maybe some of their videos and just kind of sees whatever comes across their feed and learns to trust them over time just because of kind of facial recognition and like a general, you know, alignment. Maybe there's some vicariously you know, admiring this person and wanting to live through them going on. And then, you know, they're easy to get emotionally got basically because they haven't really done any deconstruction and uh, judgy Janet is a pretty judgmental person. (laughs) And so uh, the pain points are, she hasn't really deconstructed anything at all. She's used to centering herself. She probably thinks she's better than other people. And she also wants to, her goal is she wants to take out her rage on something. She wants to be cathartic in her social media. And um, it doesn't matter necessarily who's on the other end. And she feels like she can trust, you know, some creator and basically becomes an arm of that creator as a result without understanding fully, I think, what she's in. Mm, Okay. Oh, she's a little, she's a little spicier. A little spicier. Spicier than Martha and Camilla. Okay. Well, yeah, because there's um, some anger there, you know? Yeah, that like, that rage just under the surface yeah. is usually what I would consider, you know, the Karen at Sephora who can't find her lip gloss that she always gets every six <laughs> weeks and just rages at the cashier as if they've ordered the inventory and like purposely slighted her. That's what I think exactly. of Janet, just just like a quiet rumbling just under the surface that can be triggered by anything. <laughs> exactly. Like she's doing her videos from the parking lot of Starbucks and <laughs> as she's yes. up the line or something. Yeah. Very Karen energy on Judgy Janet. 
Uh, and then also, I think uh, there's the next one is kind of a pair with Judgy Janet too. So the next one is Nasty Nick, and <laughs> um, I don't like I like Nasty Nick slightly less than I like Judgy Janet. I can at least kind of understand Judgy Janet, where she's I can at least kind of understand her vicariousness. Nasty Nick, he's almost always a white dude. He's often a, a white gay man. He's used to centering himself as well. He feels like he should and can be the arbiter of what counts as real pain or mm. a real apology. And he enjoys any excuse to be cruel. And his pain points are he has probably a shitty relationship to his mom. He's either like a mama's boy or he's a super spiteful relationship. And so he just hates women and he has a lot of like masculine anxiety, which is a whole cultural thing that a lot of mm -hmm. men uh, and people face is a lot of like patriarchal and, and white anxiety um, and fragility. And he's sad that he didn't make more out of himself in his life. So his goals are really there to just be cruel. And that's another kind of, I think, form of like taking out his rage about, you know, the society that promised him that he was better than others. And then that wasn't really true, was it? So mm. yeah, that's what I think about this, that pair of people. Huh. So nasty Nick. Here's, here's my take on Nasty Nick. Okay. So all the white, all the privilege of being a white man in this society, like having the, being born into the genetic lottery and getting all the privilege, mm -hmm. but also being marginalized for being gay. Yeah. So, and then with the mommy issues, uh, <laughs> there's something about men that have shitty relationships with their mothers they tend to want to punish their mothers through any woman any woman whether it's a woman they love and care about a woman that's their friend or just a random woman on the internet which i think makes them particularly dangerous yeah. um it's it's not it's not sexy like people fetishize and sexualize women with daddy issues because there's a seeking of validation and nurturing from men with that which men can definitely use to their advantage it's different with men with mommy issues because they typically want to take out their aggression on women specifically online where you can hide behind a keyboard so it's very much like that karen energy yeah that Janet has it's that quiet yeah. rumbling just under the surface yeah definitely just under the surface and I also want to say that I think by extension there's a hatred of otherness which I do think stems from I have a whole psychological opinion about uh, how the Freudian mirror stage you separate yourself from your mother and you uh your understanding that you're different from your mother becomes abjection so you basically then grow to kind of fear and hate anything that's other and so that encompasses the racial other and the gendered other and the sexual other and you know that so that becomes like any kind of part of identity that is just not aligned with them becomes mm -hmm. something they can just like hate because of this uh lack of deconstruction about what the other is mm -hmm. I also feel like with white gay men because there is that element of being marginalized that there's this entitlement to be openly harsh and cruel to other marginalized people but it's like wait 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 wait. yes you're gay and yes you do deal with 
the issues of being marginalized in that way, mm-hmm. but you also have privilege in all these other areas. Yeah. So yeah, deconstruction is definitely needed there. But I, I do notice that, and this isn't, this isn't all white gay men, but there's a large number of them that are particularly harsh to other marginalized groups because they feel like they just can be. Yeah. Yeah. Like they're, they're given permission or something because they have like marginalization points, but yeah, you know, being in many different queer circles, they often will center themselves just like speaking broadly. Like you're in a circle of diverse queer people and the white gay men are thinking that they're the most important people in the room, Uh, you know? No deconstruction. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's very, that's a very broad stroke kind of a claim because of course, you know, different people have different levels of what they've tackled as far as their, their shadow selves, but okay. So then the next, uh, (laughs) you're going to love this. The next one is poopy pants, Peter. (laughs) (laughs) Poopy pants, Peter. Oh no. (laughs) Not poopy Pete. Yeah. Poopy pants, Pete. (laughs) Uh, they are they are somebody who leans into, uses, and very much abuses identity politics. They are, I, I think they model themselves after the kind of person that you might find on 4chan or even on Kiwi Farms, which if you don't know what it is, don't Google that. Uh, maybe we'll do some content about that in the future, but just don't even go there. Um, Poopy Pants Peter threatens people a lot, but it's all bluster. They're the person in your comments going, I know your address. I know where you live. I'm going to dox you. Um, they're the person saying, you know, trying to trick you into doing something so they can blast you and act like it was this big deal, but it's all bluster. They're not, they're probably not going to make it a real world problem for you because they're actually pretty afraid of any like you know, real consequences. They would much rather just create fake accounts and hide behind a keyboard and, you know, not have to stand by anything that they're actually saying or doing. So they probably don't want to actually get in legal trouble, but uh, online they're going to act real tough. They might even spread fake information about you. They might even use like low-key psyops tactics. They might Photoshop some shit. They are usually a conspiracy theorist, poopy pants Peter, is very into big conspiracies and proving the lies, but has very shitty slash no logic whatsoever. Um, it was never about logic. It's a tactic. Poopy Pants Peter is the worst kind of trope about an SJW. Uh, Poopy Pants Peter is probably a furry. Poopy Pants Peter is, is willing to reach out to you in DMs with some fake story uh, relating to your situation, saying they once got went through a similar situation, but it's to infiltrate when they can't keep a friendship long-term. Their pain points are a complete lack of self-confidence, a lack of feeling like they have any value in the world or like anything matters, probably. Uh, Probably some addictive issues. Goals are they're there to cause chaos. They're there to target the most vulnerable people and ideally, uh, unfortunately, to get them to kill themselves, like the, the, the goal of this kind of person is to find people that they really can affect the mental health of and destroy it for, I guess, entertainment purposes, you know, which is really hard to stomach that people are out there doing this. But I think it's a need to feel like there's some kind of hierarchy in the world that they can be above. Because one weird thing too about Poopy Pants Peter is they'll often identify as an autist or autistic. You know, that's such a strange, to me, it's like such a such an interesting 
point that that they'll identify as something that they they really hate and try to go after other people and get those other people to really be wiped out of you know at least silenced but even you know literally silenced and it's i think a self-hatred you know mm-hmm. wow that's a gross one yeah poopy. yeah we're getting darker we're, this is the iceberg of trolls so we're, we have a, we have two more after this and they get darker and darker Poopy Pants Peter is that guy that I've seen on the show Catfish over and over and over again. That slovenly neck beard, like bottle cap glasses type of guy that's catfishing hundreds of women at a time and getting all the validation they need from all the wrong places. Um, I imagine this guy is probably someone that's been like really radicalized by toxic masculine male figures online you know like follows Andrew Tate yes or Kevin Samuels types point good point yes um I also imagine that the hatred that they have for vulnerable people it's it's like a self-hatred thing like they get to be the bully now yeah like it's cathartic for them not necess- it's not necessarily like a personal thing about whoever it is that they're targeting because it's never no, really totally. about that person. It's like therapeutic for them in a really sick way yeah. to be able to exert some kind of power over someone else's mental health instead of just going to fucking therapy. Ugh, gross. Yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, I think it's a I think it's an assertion of some level of power um in the face of rules that have been very cruel to them. I guess they feel like to be cruel in turn is some kind of cathartic, but um, yeah, just go to therapy. <laughs> yeah, that's someone that's like painfully insecure. Yeah, yeah, and doesn't want it to be better for anyone else. Mm-hmm. So that's pretty ugly. And then, okay, so the next one, uh, our our dear friend, call out Callie. <laughs> oh God, <laughs> yeah, who is just uh, honorary mention for the? It's kind of she's kind of like a mother of trolls, so or like the queen bee of trolls. She's a larger influencer often um, because her channel is essentially fed by drama. And um, she's, to be fair, she's built the trust of an audience. So it's possible for her to be, I mean, I think if you're in the call out space at all, there's some level of like, you don't have to be a bad person, but you certainly have to make choices and compromise things in order to even get up to that level of influence. So you're somebody who's at least okay with drama <laughs> um, mm-hmm. and it can be a, a range of responsible to irresponsible with that power. So this particular call out Callie is uh, very irresponsible. And so she uses that power to really just take down anybody she wants. And she can do this through gaslighting. And also another common I mean, I don't even know if it's common, but another tactic can be like fire hose of falsehoods. And that's like a Russian misinformation tactic that has been used in our elections in recent years where you are just inundated with with claims that are wildly false. And so then you have to scramble to um, correct them. I think her goals anyway are, are usually to maintain a platform which can involve money at that level. And it can also be, it can also be a sense of saviorism. I think call out creators do think that they are helping in a lot of cases. I think it's uh, wanting to address, wanting to be a part of some kind of solution 
but deciding to, you know, use, you know, deciding to put yourself at the top of a platform in order to get the kind of muscle to cause the changes you want. Mm -hmm. So we know her. <laughs> uh, we know her a little too well. <laughs> yeah, I'm thinking yeah, the problem I... with the call out Callies is that because of the size of their platforms, because they're, they are more established influencers usually, yeah. it comes with this almost instant authority be, be, just based on the numbers and the engagement. Yeah. They don't actually have to stand for anything. Um, you mentioned like there might be a sincere desire to come up with solutions for whatever it is or whatever the guise is that they're standing behind. But what they can do instead is just sort of dangle the idea of a solution, meanwhile, continuing to feed their platform with more and more drama. Very good point. And I also think they she cares a lot about hierarchy which is interesting creators that are larger than her she's going to give a lot of due respect um because she you know she believes in that that importance of that hierarchy i think so there's a lot of kind of politics too that goes up at those goes on at those higher levels of influence and so yeah, it is it is a hierarchy and i also think that when you're at that level and climbing in the back of their mind there's always the potential for some kind of collaboration or shout out for someone larger. So it's not even so much about respect. It's just the leash is just a little bit tighter, I guess, when it comes to creators larger than them. Yeah. Like they don't even necessarily have to like them or get along with them. But the Callies of the world are thinking, well, hmm, I won't say anything bad about this one because I may be able to get a, a slice of their pie. But yeah. cross me and it's and it's over <laughs> yeah I mean and again this kind of ranges because I do think there are some call out creators who I don't know they're not so openly cruel they try to be responsible with their platform and there certainly are instances where like canceling is is due there's a reason canceling got invented because some people needed to be they were too dangerous to be in a platform so mm -hmm. I think there are, there's definitely space for collar creators who are responsible with their platform, but the problem is the qualifications are simply that you were entertaining enough to get followers. Mm -hmm. And that's an entire space where people care about the numbers. Suddenly you have no certification and you're talking about, you know, you're deciding who is too traumatized or you're deciding who's too dangerous or whatever. So there's a range of level of responsibility. And then mm -hmm. the other interesting thing about Call It Cali is that among all the trolls, she and commentator Camilla are probably, and maybe Judgy Janet and maybe Nasty Nick, often, yeah, Judgy Janet and Nasty Nick will often show their face, but those are the people that will really show their face. Poopy Pants Peter usually won't, and then the other one I'm going to mention next uh, usually won't publicly, but because Kala Kali is not only showing her face, but larger, she also is vulnerable in that way mm -hmm. to being... Mm -hmm canceled in turn that's an interesting position to be in she sort of like has to show her underbelly in order to be in that position mm -hmm. all right and then uh last one <laughs> is catfish kyle so <laughs> <laughs> oh my god these are great so you kind of already and it's interesting because there are some ties back to poopy pants peter in the in terms of the type of person that this kind of troll is born from but i described catfish kyle as also a slovenly basement dweller <laughs> <laughs> 
and is a person who, you know, basically does encapsulate a lot of the similar things to Poopy Pants Peter and often also uses identity politics and can even also be tied to some of these like groups, either the Kiwi Farms thing or even like some supremacist groups that are trying to target different people for deplatforming. But in Catfish Kyle's situation, I think it's more extreme because he is willing to do to actually bring a much more shit into the real world about it. And he still doesn't want the legal blowback, but but he's a little smarter and can do more to you without having to face it. So mm-hmm. it's important to pay attention to red flags and receipts because Catfish Kyle can really lie to you, um, can really trick you and can even, you know, can be there to steal your information, can be there for some real like psyops level stuff. And uh might be the reason that they're there in the first place. The pain point might be like actually getting paid might actually be that they can get money out of this somehow, either by scamming people or by, by maybe an outside source has paid them to come in and cause chaos. And I think we kind of faced both kinds of those trolls in this situation too. We faced people that were almost like amateurish wanting to do kind of psyops things but uh, children, basically. And then we also face some people who were, were clever and uh, calculated. And they're from the beginning ready to twist things and ready to cause chaos. Um, so these people, they might even be part of a hate group, you know? Mm-hmm. And their goals are to deplatform people, steal identities, steal information, steal money. And who knows what else? Who knows what larger goals there might be? Like that's when we can get into some conspiracy shit. But absolutely, these people are out here influencing politics, influencing elections. And um, I think it's influencing, you know, even everyday interactions on social media. Wow. I feel like beside every catfish Kyle is a judgy Janet. That's Mm. the power couple. (laughs) Yeah. It's the troll power couple. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> either a judgy janet or a um poopy pants peter because i think that catfish kyle and poopy pants peter are really cut from very similar cloth catfish kyle's like a more advanced version mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah but judgy janet is a pretty kind of nasty vile character herself too she's not like she's probably not taking things offline like catfish kyle will straight up send you robocalls to ruin your entire day you know mm-hmm. <laughs> like Judgy Janet's mm-hmm. not going to pay for that, but she is going to, she might call your place of work. <laughs> yeah. She might look you up and, you know, she might go bitch at your boss about whatever she thinks about you, which I don't even think Nasty Nick will take the time to do because she like wants to insert herself more. So, right. Right. Nasty in her own right. Oh, Catfish Kyle's. It's sent a chill down my spine. <laughs> yeah. A nasty little fucker, right? We've encountered every single one of these people. I know. Can you think of any other ones? Because it's kind of specific to our situation too, but I do think these are really applicable to even other situations like this as I've started to watch more of them now that this has kind of become a special interest of mine. And I think Mm -hmm. of ours, I'm seeing these patterns in in a lot of these other situations as they play out on TikTok and um, on YouTube. I think you really covered them all. Like I can't think of anything that isn't already listed. This is pretty good, pretty thorough. Thank you. (laughs) So there you go. All right. So then the rest of our time here, I think would be great to just have a conversation about how identity politics plays in because especially like Poopy Pants Peter is straight up out here weaponizing identity politics. And that is very interesting. Like when, 
when these social justice issues become basically a weird kind of authoritarianism, you know? Yeah, I think. Are you tired of feeling unsafe online? Do you want to learn how to protect yourself from cyberbullying, doxing, and other forms of online harassment? Then look no further than Doxed the Podcast. Visit the website doxthepodcast.com to sign up for the Doxed free ebook full of helpful tips and resources for online safety. Plus, when you sign up, you'll receive the weekly newsletter with the latest updates on upcoming content. There are many ways to connect with Doxed, including Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and Discord. Have a story to share or feedback to give? Use the contact form on the site to reach out or leave a voice message to be featured on the show. And for exclusive content, subscribe to the Doxed Supercast to gain access to the private podcast feed with member-only exclusives. Take control of your online safety and join the Doxed community today. I think that the thing that probably all these trolls have in common is some level of wokeness of the performative variety, right? Because no one... No one's really out here being like openly racist, openly ableist. They really want to believe that they're not those things. Yeah. So even with their online hate and their online trolling, they sincerely believe that they're not um that they're not racist, that they're not ableist, that they're not sexist, that they're not homophobic, even though all of that is true all of that is internalized and they're also the type that will rage at you for calling out those things as if being called racist is worse than actually being racist um (laughs) uh, i think that like there's a pretty common understanding that it's important to recognize the ways that privilege and power can shape someone's perspectives and, and experiences and it seems like as a society especially on social media that more and more people are starting to recognize the importance of that. And people seemingly recognize the importance of intersectionality. They pretend to understand what it is. And people how inter- understand that. <laughs> understand what it is. <laughs> um, intersectionality is meant to highlight the interconnectedness of various social justice issues, right? Ableism, racism, sexism, homophobia, transphobia. And how they're all interconnected and can't be fully understood in isolation and how intersectionality is like, it's complex and they intersect and overlap in all these different ways, which requires a really nuanced approach to understanding and addressing those things, right? But in my experience, and I think in yours too, as someone who sits upon multiple intersectionalities, there seems to be really little patience and decreasing empathy for someone who sits upon multiple intersectionalities and it seems to decrease more and more with each identity someone claims people really they seem to really quickly shift from listening and recognizing the problems that arise for marginalized people that don't seem to affect people of privilege to calling up your lived experience of being victimized or marginalized or abused for debate and deciding for you whether or not you're really a victim of anything because they can't seem to really wrap their brains around the fact that the cards could possibly be stacked that high against you. Yeah. Yeah. I think, um, so well said, totally hits the nail on the head. 
And I think part of it is a problem of when you have, when you are very privileged or when you're any level of privilege and you don't understand, when you haven't experienced some levels of pain that other people have experienced, or even just haven't had experiences that other people have had, you really, I mean, I think some people have higher levels of empathy of being able to imagine themselves in other people's shoes than others, but there's some level where it's like, you just can't believe it. You just can't believe that there's pain in front of you. Um, or it would be too painful to yourself to realize that that was happening and you really couldn't do anything about it. Like you just straight up have no control. You can't just stop it and fix it and make that problem go away for that person or for the world or for yourself. And so it's like the much, much easier solution for you to go about your day is to just decide that that other person isn't really in pain or that they deserve it, which mm -hmm. is very disturbing, but it makes it some of the easiest people to, you know, hate on are people that really are the most vulnerable because uh, it's like the human brain can't, can't wrap itself around. You're right, the multiple intersectionalities and because the experience is almost very too widely in a way mm -hmm. to where there, there isn't, there isn't a bridge because of the privilege and because of the fragility. And, and you're exactly right because of the performative aspect of, of wanting in the ego to, to identify as a helper and a protector and woke to the extent that you're willing to lash out at the very person that you were supposedly going to protect the second that they challenge that ego perception of yourself. Mm -hmm. Yeah. One thing that I experienced over and over again through what we just survived, what we just lived through was all of these woke social justice warrior types looking at me and invalidating my experience of being horribly abused by someone relentlessly, which was kind of shocking to me. And it's to be told over and over again, oh, you're playing the race card, you're playing the disability card, you're playing this card, that card. And it's it's wild to me that people of privilege can't, and not even just people of privilege, people that sit in the same identities as you do, because that happens a lot too, uh, that they often accuse marginalized people of like playing whatever card when we acknowledge our own intersectionality in the face of discrimination or abuse or hate because they feel threatened or uncomfortable with the idea that they may have inadvertently contributed to the systemic yeah. oppression, you know? Yeah. And when marginalized people speak up about our experiences of oppression, it can really channel it can really challenge the dominant narratives and structures that people of privilege benefit from which can make them feel really defensive and uncomfortable so accusing marginalized people of playing whatever card or you know some other dismissive response are ways for people of privilege to minimize and invalidate the experiences of marginalized people to maintain their position of power and privilege, which is like the exact opposite of being for social justice. Like it's, it's literally the exact opposite of doing that. They want to maintain that power and privilege by saying, oh, well, if you're claiming all these intersectionalities, that that's too much. Now you're, now you're manipulating. Now you're trying to you know, gain some kind of edge or 
like there's there's nothing to gain other than like a more just and equitable society for everyone for for calling out systemic oppression like there's there's no kudos for that there's no safety there's no rescue in putting yourself out there and saying hey i'm being abused and discriminated against in in these ways like all you social justice people i need you I need you. But when yeah. you say that you need them, it's, oh, you're manipulating me. It's crazy. Yeah, absolutely. Like there's no accommodations for these things. And no. when you're, when you're a creator, you're putting your face on things. It's not like TikTok is protecting anyone. Um, you know, you really are extremely vulnerable and it's not, it's not like playing some card. You, yeah, you need some kind of protection because of, um, but I think you're right that it's, uh, it's, it's about fundamentally not wanting to shake up the system that benefits you. And it's about, you know, shame and guilt, but the shame and guilt really are at the end of the day, defense mechanisms that I think the system puts in place uh, in order to, you know, in order to push people to not fundamentally shake it up. Um, you know, the system will continue its own mechanisms unless they're kind of actively pushed against in the opposite direction. And so if you're not, if you're not doing the deconstructive work, you're and you're just doing passively, whatever, you're just being neutral. You're just um, whatever, you're just going about things and you're not really thinking about the system and, and intersectionality. Um, you're not really thinking about these issues and power differentials and power dynamics you're just going to accidentally get caught up and become weaponized for the system. Mm -hmm. You mm -hmm. become an arm of it. Um, you become an agent Smith <laughs> and uh, you're out here, you know, acting to suppress certain people without even realizing what you're doing. Mm -hmm. And and you think it's your shame and your guilt because that's how your ego works. But that's really like, it's very intentional on the part of whatever the, whatever the system is doing, whatever it wants to maintain. Yeah. And it, it puts so much pressure on marginalized people that sit upon many different identities, many different intersectionalities. It puts a lot of pressure on us to pick one <laughs> and not claim any others, which diminishes the the impact of of all your other identities. I'm a woman. I consider myself to be disabled. I'm neurodivergent. Uh I'm black. I, I experience discrimination and prejudice in all these different flavors. Yeah. But to claim them all, I'm automatically weaponizing my identities. I'm automatically manipulating people and appealing to people's emotions. And it's nefarious in some way. And that causes such an erasure yeah. Of all those other things that need to be addressed that all contribute to a, a larger issue for so many different communities. And it makes me wonder, like, what's the point? What is the point of all this social justice work if no one can, no one can claim it? Mm -hmm. if, if I can't be Black and disabled and pansexual and a woman, if I can only pick one of those things and I'm actively being abused for all of those things, what is the point? Yeah. Well, I think, I mean, yeah, I think people intentionally almost misunderstand intersectionality because intersectionality would say exactly right. Like that's why it's invented to highlight the fact that it's a totally unique experience because of the combination of those things. 
and they sort of like filter over top of each other. But people talk about understanding intersectionality and they really don't at all. Um, they really don't think about it that way. And I think I think with identities, it's it's interesting because the reason identities exist in the first place is because there's an artificial opposition in in terms of a lot of things. There's like a self other opposition. So there's all these centered things in each category, like the centered things are like you're white versus you're not white. You're a man versus you're not a man. You're able-bodied versus you're not able-bodied. Um, mm-hmm. So all of those things are, uh, you can think about it like uh, if we're sort of just like uh, in a circle and they're more toward the center versus toward the edges or the margins, things that just go unspoken. Like you don't have to identify someone as a white man. The standard thing that, you know, the person who hasn't deconstructed would imagine if you just said man would be a white man. Mm-hmm, um, mm-hmm. And so other identity identities that are the marginalized ones become qualifiers. They become, they're called marked, they're the marked identity. And so they become something that the people at the center can use to kind of push people out to the margins. And so when you are somebody with those one or more of those marginalized identities and you identify proudly through those identities, what you're actually doing is reclaiming those identities. And you're saying, well, this is this identity is not a reason to push me further toward the margin. This is something that I am re-empowered by claiming and take back my power from you. And then that's obviously not what they want. So I think the response is going to be, no, let me crush that. Let me just tell you that you're faking it. Or let me just tell you that you're relying on your victimhood or something. And really it's just, again, it's just the system trying to keep those, keep that as an implicit other thing, as an implicitly worse thing. But what you're doing by taking on the identity and saying, this is me, and this is the things that I struggle with. And this is my communities that I have had similar experiences with, you re-empower yourself. People don't want you to think that you're powerful. And that's why there's all that pushback, but you are. So I think it's worth it. It's really hard. Um, When you're the target of horrible, relentless abuse of all different kinds, when you're a legitimate victim, people really come for you and really want to shame you for being a victim like it's so strange how the general public the court of public opinion will decide whether or not you're victim enough based on what they think a victim should look like sound like based on what they think a victim like how they should move through the world it's it just adds insult to injury to be a legitimate victim of something awful for a prolonged amount of time, but you're not victim enough to get any kind of help or empathy from anyone or anyone to kind of stand in the gap for you or stand beside you. It's just so strange. Like people only really care if you appear to them to be the perfect victim, but what even is that? Yeah, I don't think there is such a thing. I think it's like a gatekeeping tactic that, I mean, I can't imagine that there is such a thing as somebody who's a victim. People, you know, the best victim is the is the victim who's not even having their face in front of anybody because in terms of like the court of public opinion, and it's really as simple as that. It's like the more that you say anything at all, 
the more people are going to feed off of that and feed a bunch of drama. And so if you say nothing and you just kind of stay behind the scenes or you, you make very minimal kind of statements, people fill the void with their imagination about what you are and then they can kind of idealize you as a victim. Mm-hmm. Um, but they can't really idealize you the more that you say stuff. So when you're an influencer and your face is in front of stuff, you really have no chance. You really, um, there's no way anybody's going to idealize you as a perfect victim. They're going to objectify you as somebody that's fun to eat because they think that you putting your face up there means that you, um, you took on the chance that that was going to happen. And so therefore in some twisted way, you deserved it or you made it happen to yourself. Mm -hmm. So you literally could be a quintessential victim In this case, I was told by so many people in my comments, even at the beginning, not only would they say, you know, you're not being abused, you, they would say, uh, how dare you claim that you were being abused because I was actually abused. And so shame on you for claiming abuse when I was like, whatever, you know, beaten by my husband. Um, so yours doesn't count, (laughs) Mm -hmm. you know? my trauma is worse. So yours doesn't count. That's not coming from like any sort of fair judgment of what, you know, these people aren't even educated in like what, like what, what the legal ramifications of some of these things that are happening are like when blackmailing and doxing is all involved, like they don't Mm -hmm. even, all they're thinking about is their own rage about their own personal experience of abuse and thinking that you, you know, deserved it or whatever. So you don't have a shot. You don't have a chance. Uh, And the people that say those things don't even recognize that they're adding to your abuse. They're adding to your trauma with their comments like that. And it's usually never just one comment. It's usually a back and forth and then you block them and then they pop up with another account (laughs) to continue on. Not even recognizing the damage that they're doing in their crusade to prove to you that you're not being abused. Meanwhile, I'm abusing you, telling you that. Yeah. And it's also in the numbers. I think it's people can't really conceptualize what it is to be an influencer and go into your comments and see hundreds of the same kind of hate comments. It's, Mm -hmm. it's a very different impact um, when it's hundreds of people and it's especially dangerous when, when they're all basing their opinion off of one person who is wrong. Mm -hmm. It's very dangerous. And it's hard to conceptualize when you're just that one person. But when someone is being inundated, our brains aren't meant to handle even this level of social engagement, much less this level of abuse. So Mm -hmm. it's, it really is in a way multiplied by that sort of level of vulnerability of being, having your face up there. Yeah. There, there are a few larger um, creators on TikTok that I follow and that I've interacted with. And so many of them are like, oh, I hate when my posts go viral. If I have a post that goes viral, I private my account. I I private the video. I limit the video because it's terrifying. And it doesn't even matter the subject matter, really. If it's going viral, it's reaching... It's reaching so many different FYPs. It's reaching so many different types of people. And that's terrifying once you've been through something like this. Yeah. I mean, you might not even realize how terrifying it can be until you've been through something like this. But 
then you do, you come across videos where people are saying like, you know, I'm usually on the whatever, like lesbian thirst trap side of TikTok, for example, but I had this one thing that went viral. Mm-hmm. Now I'm suddenly on like horrific men trying to attack me side of TikTok. And it's just like, that that happens when you go viral, you just reach right outside of your little space. And I think TikTok can be, it's never safe fully, but it can be more safe when you're staying kind of within your space. And part of the trick to that is you're right, like kind of not going viral. And so there's some balance of that, I guess, but yeah, it becomes dangerous the more people you expose yourself to. It sort of depends on what your intention is with creating a platform in the first place. Yes, like exactly. if you're someone that wants to be this huge influencer on TikTok, what are you doing? Are you dancing around? Are you doing makeup? Are you being funny? Like is your is your content for everyone or are you talking about controversial things? Are you talking about your trauma? Are you talking about mental health issues? Are you talking about polarizing things? Is is it super niche? Mm -hmm. Is it about building community? Because if it's about building community, you do not need 100,000 something people on TikTok. You really don't. Because once you get up in those numbers, it's not a community anymore Uh, at all. Or your community gets smaller and smaller because you have to hold them closer. And there really is something to... Mm -hmm. There's a fair weather nature to the friendships and connections that you make on social media because we're all in doubly parasocial relationships until you make some kind of deeper connection. But even entering into this, I thought I understood parasocial relationships and I had a ton to say about the following of certain cult-like leaders. But what I didn't understand yet until I went through this experience was the doubly parasocial nature and the fact that these are very fair weather friends and, mm-hmm. and even, even the followings, like um, in my experience, my following was mostly there, I think, to be kind of educated about niche spiritual topics. And when the drama started, they weren't there going to bat because they weren't there in the first place to be call out creator followers, you know? Mm-hmm. So yeah. they weren't like, and I respect that completely. I don't think they owed me a thing. And I, I was fine. I had friends. But in terms of just like being able to weaponize my following, there was none of that because that's not what I was doing in the space in the first place. I was building community. Um, and you can right. after a certain level, after a certain size. But yeah, you, yeah, very different um, purposes. Yeah. Um, I think when you're like a micro influencer, or even if you're not really there to influence but to build community and to connect like I joined TikTok because I do have this like niche spirituality thing but I'm also autistic and have ADHD and CPTSD and that's like that's a very unique little corner of TikTok it's so tiny (laughs) and so I joined to connect with people and to make friends I didn't really understand parasocial relationships back then so when you get involved in TikTok drama suddenly your content has changed yeah because you don't build your like you said you're not you don't build your content around drama like you built your content a very specific way so you drew in a certain crowd and that didn't really involve getting into tiktok drama so once you do uh people don't want to hear it they don't want to see it they're not there to fight for you 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 realize how little they see you as just like a full human being you're a content creator. 
I want to hear you talk about manifestation. Stop mm-hmm. making content about your feelings about being abused. I don't want to hear that. God, I'm so tired of seeing your two posts about your feelings. <laughs> and they saw that so much. Like they were so exasperated and exhausted with me, yeah. like two videos in. Yeah. And it I can feel, it's like, it's a shock to the system to realize like, oh, these people don't like actually care about my humanness. Yeah. They're here for this specific content. And if I'm not making it, they're out of here. Yeah, exactly. And it's even if you understand that cognitively, it is still a shock when you go through it and you're like, Ooh, I actually am vulnerable, you know? Mm -hmm. And same thing with other influencers. I mean, there were people who I really thought of as friends who, um, either some people just straight up said nothing. And I can respect that too, because there's always, the whole thing is political. I mean, everybody that's out here showing their face is playing a game of politics. And again, I hadn't even quite realized that. Um, but the people that are higher up are up there because they understand the power of hierarchy. So you think this is some mm-hmm. grassroots place? No, this is like completely ruled by people that understand and utilize the power of hierarchy. Thank you for listening. Find additional content at doxedthepodcast.com.